that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman Webb. Is that really in the Bible? I guess I should say Happy New Year's. Although, if Jesus came to your church at this time of the year, he would tell you this is not really the new year. In other words, the new year begins in the springtime when everything is coming to life, when there's a warmth in the air. That's when the new year really begins. Well, let's take a look at it in Exodus 12 and verse 2. And this month shall be unto you, the beginning of months, it shall be the first month of the year to you. Now this was the month of Abib and it corresponds to around our March 28th. And if you look at a calendar this year in March 28th, you will realize that spring, that's right there near springtime. You know, God's way makes sense. It really does that the, the new year doesn't start in the dead middle of winter when it's freezing cold. The new year starts when everything is coming back to life. Yeah, that makes sense. God's way makes sense. Of course, we go by the Gregorian calendar and the Hebrew calendar. They went by, they identified a new month by a new moon. That was the beginning of a, uh, you know, a new month, and that's how they calculated their time. But in the Bible, you had the beginning of the year occurring at springtime, which makes much more sense. Now, 14 days later, you had the Passover. And the Passover was about forgiveness and a new beginning. A new, sort of like a New Year's resolution, you know? Now, married people, they renew their covenants, their covenant they made between God often. But, um, and that's what renewing your vows, you know, basically this Passover, that's what it was about, was renewing your covenant that you've made between God. Some people call it communion, and where they get together and they take a little bit of bread, a little bit of wine, unleavened bread, a little bit of wine that represents Christ's blood, and they take that, they eat the bread, you know, take, eat, this is my body, and they renew that covenant. It's a new beginning, new beginning. Now, what is the one thing God desires from all of us, especially when it comes to the need for a new beginning. And I'm convinced throughout the year, we always have not just one time, you know, we talk about New Year's resolution, New Year's resolution, yeah, we have that. But throughout the year, often we need a new start, a fresh start, a new beginning. We need to wipe the slate clean and start out fresh. But what three words does God want to hear from you, especially when you're starting out new? Now, someone would say, oh, I know, he wants to hear the words, I love you. That's three words. No, that's not the three words God wants to hear. There was a man many years ago, his name was Jim Baker, and he was a minister, I think, of the PTL club or PTL ministry. He got in trouble. He was embezzling money, using the people, people's money wrongly. He was caught in some type of sex scandal, and he was sentenced to... 45 years in prison. I don't know how much time he served, but during his imprisonment, he wrote a book. 
And he came out with a book entitled, three words, I was wrong. And when I saw that, because I never really had much respect for Jim Baker, I sort of put him into the same categories. I put sometimes a lot of preachers, you know, the Sunday morning comedy hour, and, and I just didn't have much respect for him. But when I saw that this man, a Christian, or calls himself a Christian, who says, I was wrong, it was a breath of fresh air. It's sort of the same feeling I get when I see a car that says, just married. I think, what? You mean people are still doing that today? They're still getting married? And it's a, it's a wonderful feeling. And when I saw that a Christian was saying publicly, hey, look, I was wrong. Wow, that was powerful. Very powerful. The three words God desires most from you, especially when it comes to a New Year's resolution, is I was wrong. In fact, God cannot even work in and among you until you admit I was wrong. Now, why is this so hard? And I'm convinced it's harder for religious people than in anybody else because of their theology. You see, relig religious people have a theology that says, look, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, I'm justified, I'm heaven-bound, I'm made right, once saved, always saved. And it makes them, it nearly impossible for religious people to even admit I was wrong. And if you look at Jim Baker's example, he had to hit rock bottom before he could admit I was wrong. And I'm just convinced that we could save ourselves a lot of hell on earth if we could learn to evaluate ourselves and to admit to God on a regular basis, I was wrong. Now, you know the story of Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3 and verse 8, it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve Adam and his wife, excuse me, hid themselves. Now, you know why they hid themselves. They had sinned. They had messed up big time. But my question is this. Yeah, we all make mistakes, don't we? But why? Why couldn't Adam just say, oh, God, I was wrong. You know, come out of hiding. And I'm telling you, a man's been hiding ever since. And one of the ways he hides is behind his religion. But, you know, why couldn't he just say, God, I was wrong. Now, let me meddle into your affairs. Husbands, have you ever admitted to your wife that you were wrong? Wives, have you ever admitted to your husband that you were wrong? In Genesis 3 and verse 12, it says, And the man said, The woman you gave me to be with, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Again, the question is, why? why? Why didn't he just say, I did it. I was wrong. And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Why? Why couldn't she just say, look, I did it, and I was wrong. I tell you, one thing we learn here is that there is no difference in the sexes. You know, you could just forget that out. I mean, we have, male and female, we have a hard time admitting that we're, when we're wrong. And again, it's harder for religious people because of their theology. Saved, sanctified, justified, heaven bound, made right, once saved, always saved. It makes it nearly impossible for them to admit to God, 
I was wrong. You know, I was listening to a DVD of a church service, and they have something called a call to worship, and the choir gets up there every Sunday morning over and over, and they repeat the same words. They sing this cute little song. It says, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving me thy great salvation so rich and free. And I sort of, you know, I listen, I think, okay, when do they admit they're wrong? Where does that fit in? Where, is there a space? Is there a spot in your life for you as a Christian to admit you're wrong? You know, I'm surprised they don't sing I'm surprised religious people don't sing, I'm doing so well, I'll never go to hell. Why don't they say, sing that in church? Now, if, if theology, it's bad enough that our theology teaches us, you know, it, it makes it nearly impossible for us to admit. But if that weren't bad enough, our world teaches us a certain way to think. And it sort of revolves around positive thinking you know, never think ill of yourself. Always think the best about everything that you do and everything that you say, whatever. And the danger of positive thinking is this. It is that it leads to a lack of self-evaluation. Every decision that some people make is, is in their own eyes right. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's Proverbs 21 verse 2. Every man. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord ponders the heart. You know, there's a passage in Luke 18 and verse 11 about where Jesus gives this example of what is called the Pharisees. Well, let's take a look at it. Luke 18 and verse 11. The Pharisees stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, I want to tell you something. You don't have to be a Pharisee to be self-righteous. You don't even have to be religious to always be or think that you're right or self-righteousness. In other words, just believe that everything you are now doing is right. Never evaluate yourself. Never second-guess yourself. Never think ill of yourself. Always think, about, think the best about everything you do and say and every decision that you make. Always believe it's the right one. And you will be a modern-day Pharisee from hell. Now, the example that we need to adopt is found here in Psalms 51 and verse 1. This is a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba and committed adultery. He says this, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according unto your, the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. You know, David, the reason David was called a man after God's own heart is because David, like a child, like a little boy, could just go to God and say, God, I was wrong. You know, the history of mankind would be different if it had been David and Eve. Instead of Adam and Eve, David and Eve. You know, it, it would be a bit different because sometimes we just need that modeling in our life. 
We need someone to show us the way. We need someone to come along and say, look, this is how you do it. This is how you admit that you're wrong. And you do that by example, by the way. Now, let me ask you this. Parents, have you or did you ever admit to your children, I was wrong? I'm sorry. You know, I found that as parents, we think we got to play God. And, you know, God never asked for forgiveness. Let me tell you something. You're not God. You need to model that for your children and be big enough to say, hey, I was wrong. You know, self-evaluation is not something you just do one time. Admitting that you're wrong is not something you just do one time. It's a lifetime. It takes a lifetime. This self-evaluation that I'm talking about is a lifetime, and sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes there's confusion involved because this thing that you've just admitted, you don't know the answer to it yet. And so, therefore, there is confusion because you don't have, at the present time, the solution, the answer. And so there's some confusion. So I'm, I'm saying that self-evaluation is not always pleasant. I just recently took a sabbatical. I took some time off. And, and you know, the reason I did it was because I needed quiet time. I needed just me and God. I needed self-evaluation. And it's one of the healthiest things you will ever do. It really is. You know, when you believe everything you are now doing is right, when you never evaluate yourself, when you never second-guess yourself, when you never think ill of yourself, when you always think the best about everything you do and every decision that you make, you know what? You'll miss the first resurrection. You're going to miss the first resurrection. And I'm sometimes amazed at the things people allow in their relationship with God. Yeah, they call themselves Christian, and I look at the things they are allowing to exist in that relationship with God. And sometimes I just realize that the reason that's true is because that person has no self-evaluation. It is obvious that person is not evaluating himself at all, or else he wouldn't be doing that. You need to be able to admit that you're wrong in a relationship with God. But once you do it, you need to get past being wrong. You see, often when we admit that we're wrong, there's a certain amount of shame connected to it. Because you did the wrong. You're, shame, you're, you're, you're shameful because you did something wrong. Okay, that's obvious. But you see, shame, what I mean by getting past being wrong, you need to accept God's grace, accept God's forgiveness, and move past being wrong. You see, shame causes us to feel certain emotions. And often those emotions are, well, I'm never going to be good enough. And often that, 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 that attitude that's driven by shame, I'm never going to be good enough, leads us to think, okay, since I'm not going to be good enough, I have permission. I have entitlement to do what is wrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah, human nature is a queer thing. I tell you, it is. It really is. I mean, we, we play games constantly with ourselves, with each other, with God. Yeah, that shame can cause you to feel, I'm never going to measure up, so I might as well go ahead and be a beautiful loser. I'm entitled to do what is wrong. So I'm saying you got to move past, you know, that, just being wrong. The mistake is now out of the way. I have been forgiven. I can now move forward by God's grace. God can now use me in a more powerful way than ever before. 
A great blessing is coming my way because I have admitted that I'm wrong and now it's time to move past that. You know, the Bible speaks that the angels in heaven are rejoicing when one sinner repents. They're throwing a party. Now here's the good news. You're going to be a part of that party also because you have repented, because you have admitted, I, God, I was wrong. It's a beautiful thing. Romans 7 verse 15 I like this. It says, for that, Paul is speaking, he says, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Notice Paul said the law is good. Now that is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. You know, someone said that this was written some 20 years into Paul's ministry. You know, some people like to say, oh, he's a new convert, and that's the reason he's talking about this struggle. Oh, no. Oh, no. My point is this. The apostle of grace could admit that he was wrong, and here Paul is admitting that he was wrong 20 years into his ministry. And so this is a model example for us to realize, you know, we need to do this on a regular basis. Now, I think about the scripture where it says that Adam hid himself, from the, that they both hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And I'm asking the question, why is it so hard to admit I was wrong? And I have found that it's easier to hide from God. You know, mankind has been hiding from God ever since. I mean, here you have the first record of sin committed, Adam and Eve. And what do they do? They hide. And you know what? They've been hi- mankind has been hiding ever since. And I tell, you, we hi- I tell you what people do. We hide behind our religion. The way people avoid admitting that they're wrong is that they hide behind their religion. Let me explain it. It goes like this. Well, I'm unconditionally loved. It, it doesn't matter how I live my life. It doesn't matter my morality or anything like that. I just know I'm unconditionally loved. Loved by God. Yeah, that's how people... I mean, think about it. How do churches justify ordaining homosexual priests into the ministry? When the Bible is absolutely clear about the subject, how do they justify it? I mean, the Bible calls it an abomination. Paul says it's an abomination also. So, you know, how do they justify it? Well, the answer is this. It is, I know I'm unconditionally loved by God, and it doesn't matter how I live my life. It's not an issue of morality. It's not an issue of right and wrong. I know I am unconditionally Loved. That's how people hide behind their religion and never get around to admitting that they're wrong before God. Now, Jesus came with a specific message. I want to put these up there here. Matthew 4 and verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice that, repent. Say you're sorry. Be sorry. Admit to God, I'm wrong. 
Mark 1 and verse 15, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Mark 6 and verse 12. And they went out and preached that men, speaking of his disciples here, they went out and preached that men should repent. Now let me ask you a question. What is the focal point of this message? The focal point of Jesus' message and what he commissioned his disciples to preach was repentance. Now what does that mean? It means I was wrong. That's what it's talking about. That's what repentance leads to. It leads to you saying, me saying, look, I'm wrong. Jesus' message was not just you are unconditionally loved. You see, a relationship with God starts does not start with knowing that you are unconditionally loved. A relationship, a true relationship with God starts with three words. I was wrong. And somehow, we're starting to bypass that as Christians. It's just not important. People don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear about repentance. They, and they sure don't want to admit that they're wrong. They would rather hide behind, they would rather run and hide from God and hide behind their religion and just say, it doesn't matter how I live my life. I know that I am unconditionally loved. Well, you're playing a game. You're playing a game. Now, I will admit this. Once you admit that you're wrong, once you say to God, I'm wrong, I repent, and you accept Christ as your personal Savior, and you go down in the waters of baptism, and you have hands laid on you for the receiving of the Holy Spirit of God, and you receive the indwelling presence of God's Spirit. Yeah, once you do that and you become a child of God, you can be assured that you are unconditionally loved by the Father. That's an absolute. But what comes first is three words. I was wrong. You know, admitting that we're wrong is not a one-time thing. There is this continuous self-evaluation that we need to have. You know, I was watching, I think it was on Facebook, it was a beautiful song. It was a, a large group, a choir that was singing. It was, I can't think of the name of the song. It was a beautiful Christmas song, actually. And the cameras would scan the audience. And I mean, it was a beautiful song, I admit. I wish I could think of the name of it. And there were people weeping and crying and, you know, tears rolling down their face as the camera swept the audience. I mean, people were touched. They were moved by this powerful song. And I started thinking, you know, our adoration toward God is not enough. The three words, God, I love you, is not enough. You know, I sometimes think that God would say, and excuse the language here, but I sometimes think God would say, look, if I hear those words coming out of your mouth one more time, I love you, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to puke all over the place. No, the three words I want to hear from you, from me, from America, from the 450,000 churches to, to the 650,000 preachers that out there, the three words I want to hear is, I was wrong. 
And so I started out talking about a New Year's resolution. You know, maybe you've had a bunch of resolutions that's never worked. They only last five minutes. Well, there's a reason they've only lasted five minutes. There's a reason we, don't, we can't seem to get connected to the Creator God. We live our lives as Christians. You know, we got a theology that won't even allow us to admit that we're wrong. And people run around, you know, and they, they run around claiming, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm unconditionally loved. And yet, they've never done, they've never confessed to God. The magical, yes, magical three words. I was wrong. I'm David Freeman, and that's what's really in your Bible, and to a large degree, that's really what your Bible is all about. You admitting to the Creator, America admitting to the Creator, God, that we are wrong. Is it possible to change the man or the woman in the mirror? And if so, how? Are we simply victims of our past behaviors with no way out of our sins and addictions? Jesus told a woman to go and sin no more. This is real change. No longer a slave to sin. But how is this possible? You were created incomplete, lacking the necessary drive and desire that would cause you to do the right thing. The bottom line is this. You need a second spirit. Man's real problems are spiritual in nature, and the natural man simply cannot solve spiritual problems. How can we know what is right, and how can we have the desire and power to choose what is right? Real change is possible, and the ability to please God is possible, but it is only possible by receiving God's spiritual DNA. Order your free booklet entitled, How You Can Change and Please God. Order by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, check us out on the web at is that really in the bible dot net